Welcome to Your Change, a broadcast aimed at revealing grace and empowering transformation. Through the revelation of God's undeserved, unearned and unmerited favour, we are committed to helping you make better changes in life for life. I just want to begin by you know, just thanking God uh, you know, for 2021. Yeah, you know sometimes there's a tendency to look back and all we see is the bad that happened, the challenges, the difficulties of 2021. And as a result, you know, it, it closes our eyes from seeing the goodness of the Lord, the things that God has done for us, the things that God continued to do for us. The, by, by, by the fact that you are here today, the fact that you are breathing today, the fact that you are seeing me today in person as well as online, the fact that you are alive, that means God has been working wonders and miracles. The, 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 the singers, they sing and say, even when I'm not seeing it, it doesn't mean that you are not at work. The fact that I'm not seeing it with my physical eyes, it doesn't mean that God, you are not at work. Our God is working again and again and again in our lives. And we just want to thank God. Acknowledge the goodness of the Lord for us over the season of 2021. It was a season of opportunities. I don't know about you, in that bed, there were opportunities to seize. In that time, we saw great opportunities. And those who are willing to seize opportunities, today we can stand and testify of the goodness of the Lord in our lives. If you are like me, let's just put our hands together in acknowledging the goodness of the Lord. If you're online, I just want you to use the chat section, send your likes, send your love hearts there uh, so that we can continue to be moving together in Jesus' precious and mighty name. I just want to go straight uh, into the word of God this morning. I just want to take this time uh, this morning just to do uh, a teaching for those who are in online. Uh, we are not in a classroom, but we're in class. I just want us to go through a teaching that I believe that it is key it is fundamental to our faith. A teaching that I believe that it is key. It is fundamental to, to our faith. Those who are familiar with our uh, Tuesday prayers, our Tuesday prayers, we call them the influence of... Talk to me, church. Talk to me, church. The influence of, of prayer. Even if you're online... I just want you to, to, to just flow, to flow with me uh, this morning. We talk about the influence of prayer. And sometime in 2019, if my memory serves me right, I did a teaching series on the influence of prayer. And one of the things towards the end of the year that I felt the Holy Spirit pressing upon my heart, it took me time to, 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 to get what the Spirit was leading me to. But I continued to hear Deuteronomy. Deuteronomy, Deuteronomy. And you know, I, I could not make sense why that word kept on popping in my heart and in, a, in my mind. And uh, one of the days, uh, it became much clearer that, you know, Deuteronomy, it simply means to say again. It means to repeat. So when you are coming to the book of Deuteronomy, what Moses was doing in the Deut book of Deuteronomy, he wasn't saying something for the first time. 
he was repeating what he had already said. They were repeating the things God had already said. Uh, why? Because there are some things that are very key and very important in our journey of faith. That if we say them once, that if we say them once, there are very high chances that we might forget them. Are we together, church? That we will forget them. Yeah. So there are some things in our Christian faith that require us to say them again and again. Do I, do I have the church this morning? There are things in our Christian faith that require us to say again and again. Now, I want to come back to this teaching so that we can, we can continue to emphasize the things that are important in our Christian faith. Do I have the church this morning? So that we can continue to reinforce the things that are of great importance, especially in our Christian faith. So this morning, in this season of prayer and fasting, I want to continue to talk on the subject of prayer. Somebody say prayer. But this morning, I want to talk on this subject on the title, The Protocol of Prayer. Somebody say The Protocol of Prayer. Oh, I want you to say like a minute. Somebody who's excited about 2022. Uh, thank you so much. If you're joining us online, I just want you to go ahead as well and just say the protocol of prayer. Very, very important. I think this is a, a fundamental or a foundational teaching when it comes to prayer that you and I are ever going to need to be reminded of and to have our faith anchored uh, upon. Glory be to God. Now, when we talk of Protocol, by definition, uh, protocol, it's, it speaks of uh, a system of rules that govern how something functions. That's a protocol. It's a system of rules or a, it's a system of procedures. That's a protocol. It's a system of rules or a system of, pro of procedures that govern the affairs of a certain area, right? It's a, it's, a, it's a term that is quite popular in the governments to those who are in politics. But this morning, I want to take that particular line of thought and bring it within the context of our worship, within the context of prayer, and look at the protocol or the procedures, the rules that govern prayer. It is very important. Why is this important? Is because if there's one practice in our Christian faith, one discipline that is practiced so much, it is the practice of prayer. Do we agree there? It is the practice of prayer. But yet, at the same time, it is one of those disciplines where majority of us, we lack knowledge. It is the practice, it is the discipline, it is one area of our Christian faith that is practiced the most, I can almost guarantee you that majority of believers, they know prayer more than they know the word of God. I want to think about it. We know prayer more than we know the word of God. Yet it is the word of God that is supposed to be the basis that determines how we pray. Am I talking to somebody this morning? 
So knowing the rules that govern prayer or the procedures that are responsible for prayer becomes something that is of great importance. Now, I want to take you into the Old Testament today. Why? Because the Old Testament is very key when it comes to us understanding the revelation of the New Testament. I normally say, or in theology, they normally say that the Old Testament, it contains the New Testament. Yet that New Testament, it is concealed. It is hidden. So when you are reading the, New, the Old Testament, the New Testament is there, but it is what? It is hidden. It is concealed. Then when you come now to the New Testament, the New Testament, it is the Old Testament revealed or unveiled. So someone who has got a good balance of the two must be able to come to a place where you appreciate God when you come to the New Testament because the Old Testament is being revealed. Things are becoming clearer and clearer. Am I talking to somebody this morning? I think one of the most uh, popular terms that is normally used says that the Old Testament is the shadow of is the shadow of the New Testament. Am I talking to the church this morning? So that is the reason why I want to kickstart with the Old Testament, but we are going to arrive at the New Testament because you and I, we live under the jurisdiction of the New Testament. We live under the covenant, the arrangement of the New Covenant, but it is important for us to kickstart from the Old Testament. So I want to I wanna take you through what I call the five important pieces of furniture in the tabernacle. Walk them through the five important pieces of furniture that you find. In total, there are not five. There is one that is missing. We can't see it because it's positioned behind the veil. Does it make sense now? There is another piece of furniture that is located behind the veil according to the Old Testament way of worship. But the five that we are able to see are the ones that are put here and they are sufficient for me to explain what I want to explain today. Now, when you come to the tabernacle, and this is where perhaps I want to use my tables here. So when you, when you come to the table, and suppose this is the entrance coming from here, going into the, into the tabernacle. Now, as you are coming to the tabernacle, the first piece of furniture that you come to, it is called the altar of burnt offering. Somebody say the altar of burnt offering. This is the first piece of furniture that you and I will come to. If you are following the Old Testament way of worship, you will come to the altar of burnt offering. This is where sacrifices were offered. This is where sacrifices were burnt to the Lord at the altar of burnt offering. Very, very important. It's a place where blood was shed and the body of sacrifices were placed on the altar and fire was kindled and everything on this altar, it was burnt. It was the sweet smell or the smoke as it was rising and when it gets into the nostrils of God, it causes God to respond to his people. As long as everything that is being done here is being done according to the pattern, according to God's instruction. 
do I have the church this morning? From the altar of burnt offering, we move on now to the bronze lava or the brazen lava. Right. So the priest who is officiated at the altar of burnt offering is the same priest who was supposed to come here at this brazen lava. It was a dish with water. So what would happen is, as the priests are serving at the altar of burnt offering, there is blood there. So their hands are stained with blood. Their garments are stained with blood. But once they finish serving at the altar of burnt offering, they needed to come here to wash their hands and to wash their feet as well. And they would change their garments so that they can qualify to enter into the tabernacle. Now, these two pieces of furniture, they are happening outside the actual tabernacle. Do I have the church this morning? They are happening outside the tent because a tabernacle, it was a tent with two compartments or two rooms. Right. So, these two, they are happening outside the tabernacle. So, once the priest finishes serving on the bronze here, oh, lava, after they finished washing their hands and washing their feet, then there was a curtain here, another curtain here, that is acting as a door into the tabernacle. So the priest will go into the tabernacle. As soon as the priest gets into the tabernacle, the first room, what the priest would see on the left side, it was a table with the lampstands and the lights. There were seven lights that you'd find here on the left side. That is if you're facing this way. Then on the right side here, there was a table where the priests were commanded by God to put bread. The bread which was only consumed by the priest. Do I have the church this morning? Bread that was only consumed by the priest. But right in front here, next to the veil that is separating the holy place from the holy of holies, it was this piece of furniture that is called the altar of incense. Thank you so much. It's the altar of incense. Now, so if you're going to look at it, when you look at the way of worship in Israel, there were two official altars. The altar of burnt offering and the altar of incense. These are the two altars that you would find in Israel. Israel never had any other kind of altar except these two kinds of altars. The altar of burnt offering outside where blood was shed, sacrifices died and they were offered unto the Lord. And you have another altar which was inside the tabernacle. Do I have the church this morning? Now, our focus this morning as we go through the protocol of prayer, our focus is on this altar, which is the altar of, which is the altar of incense. That is where our focus is on today. So whatever we are going to do, our aim is to arrive here and finish everything on this place. Glory be to God. 
Now let's read from the book of Exodus chapter number 30. Apology. Exodus chapter number 30 verse number 1 to verse number 4. Now as we are going to be reading this passage of the scripture it is important to take note that everything or anything to do with the tabernacle the standard of God says it must be done according to the plan. Somebody say according to the plan. Oh, somebody say according to the plan. When it comes to worship in the tabernacle, the standard operation, the standard rule when it comes to the tabernacle is that everything must be done according to the pattern that God has prescribed. Do I have the church this morning in this place? Everything has to be done according to the pattern. So here is the pattern or here is the instruction, the blueprint of the altar of incense. Exodus 30 verse number 1 to 4. God speaking to Moses on Mount Sinai, he says, Make an altar of acacia wood for burning incense. Make an altar of acacia wood for burning incense. Verse number 2. It is to be a square. So it was a square box. A cubit long and a cubit wide. Two cubits high. Each horns of one piece with it. So that means the altar of incense. It was square. But on every corner, there were horns. So that means this altar, it had four horns on it. I want you to mark that. It had four horns on it. Make an altar of acacia wood for burning incense. It is to be a square, a cubit long and a cubit wide, two cubits high, its horns of one piece with it. Verse number three. Overlay the top and all the sides and the horns with pure gold and make a gold molding around it. In other words, they were to make a gold ring around the altar. Can I come back and explain here? So you've got this altar here. They were supposed to make four horns and attach them to the corner. Remember, it is made of acacia what? Acacia wood. But when you come to verse number three, the instruction is saying, you are supposed to overlay everything with gold. Right. When you overlay it with gold, you are supposed to make a, a, a molding around it, which was like a fence. Right. Around it. So that whatever goes inside does not fall outside. Am I talking to the church this morning? But one of the most important things to note, note, note here is that it is made of acacia wood but yet overlaid with what? With God. So anyone who comes and they are looking at the altar of incense, they would see a golden box. Yet those who understand it, they know that it is made of wood overlaid with God. So in other cases, it is actually called the golden altar of incense by virtue of the material that is used <coughs> To build it. That's verse number four. Make, make two gold rings for the altar below the molding 
two on each of the opposite sides to hold the poles used to carry it. So on the two sides, on this side and this side, there were two holes that they would put, two holes here, two holes here, so that they can put poles, a pole that would come here so that you can carry it. Just picture a coffin. Have a picture, an imagination of a coffin. You know, on every side they put what? Handles. So the Bible is saying on two sides of the altar, you must have two handles but with, with, with a circle so that you can put a pole inside so that when the cloud of glory begins to move in the wilderness, the priest is supposed to come and carry the altar of incense using the poles on the side and then move with it. It's the same thing that they had to do with the Ark of the Covenant that is behind the veil. Do I have a church this morning? Now, this is where you must understand, even maybe for Bible knowledge, why you remember that day when David went to take the Ark of the Covenant from the Philistines. He didn't do according to the pattern. Remember I said everything to do with the tabernacle has to be done according to what? To the pattern. So one of the mistakes that David did when he went to take the Ark of the Covenant, there were, pole, there were holes on the side where they were supposed to put poles and the priests are supposed to carry the pole on their shoulders. David did not do that. What did he do? He took the altar, the, the Ark of the Covenant, and he put it on a new cart. Not according to the plan. Do you see what's happening here? It wasn't done according to the plan. But when you do everything according to the plan of God, there is a blessing that comes. God will come and witness what has been done according to the plan. Glory be to God. So I want you to mark this. Everything about the tabernacle, it has to be done according to the pattern. It has to be done according to God's instruction. Now, whenever the priest wanted to go and serve at this altar, let me talk a little bit on, of, of this altar, and then I'll come back and start the journey from there. Now, the fact that this altar is made of two materials, the wood, acacia wood, and the gold fused together, that prophetically spoke or pointed to the person of Jesus Christ in the New Testament, who was both human and God at the same time. Talk to me, church, this morning. I, I just want to flow with you. So we have wood, acacia wood, which speaks of humanity, right? And then we have got God, overlaid with God, that speaks of deity, right? So when you take these two, we have a picture of Jesus Christ in the New Testament, who was both 100% God and 100% man. So when we look at this altar, it is pointing Number one, to the person of Jesus Christ. Yeah. And the number two, it speaks of the work of Jesus Christ. So it speaks, number one, of the person. And then number two, it speaks of the work or of the ministry of Jesus the Christ. But what would happen at this altar is that the priest had to come and burn incense on this altar. By the fact that they were burning incense on this altar, that means that this altar is specifically talking of the ministry 
of intercession or it is talking of the ministry of prayer. Somebody say prayer. So which means whenever we come to this table, the altar of incense, we are coming to a table that is speaking of the ministry or the practice of prayer. Somebody say prayer. Remember we said that this altar, it had four horns. Four horns. Right. Now, in the Old Testament or in the Bible, every time you talk of horns, they speak of power. Horns are symbolic of power. Somebody say power. Horns are symbolic of power. And I like it so much because when we talk of the altar of incense, a place of prayer, that means it is a place of power. When we talk of prayer, we are talking of one of those disciplines in our Christian faith that contains real power. This is the prophetic message that God was communicating to the New Testament church. That when you come to the altar of incense, you are coming to that place of power. You are coming to the place where power flows. So when I'm talking to New Testament believers, I want you to get me right here. Prayer carries power. Prayer carries divine power. Prayer carries supernatural power. The quickest way to become powerless is to avoid the place of prayer. If you want to become weak in your Christian faith, be prayerless. Am I talking to the church this morning? So that means those who attend to this altar of incense, they are a people of power. They are people that are walking in power. They are not easily shaken. They are not easily moved. Because by very nature, the altar of incense, it is a place of power. It is a place of real power. Do I have the church this morning? Somebody say amen and amen. Allow me also maybe just to bring context. So remember, you're moving from the altar of burnt offering to the brazen lava. And then there's a curtain here. So once you get into the holy place, there are three pieces of furniture in the holy place. We spoke about the altar of incense. There's also the table of shewbread where they put the bread for the priest. And then there was the lampstand to give light in the room. So that means when it comes to prayer, prayer coexists together with table of shewbread and also the lampstand. So which means that the table of shewbread, this is where they would get their bread for sustenance as the priest. Bread in the New Testament, it speaks of the word. I really want you to get this. So when you're coming to this table of bread, you're coming to the word. Men shall not live by bread alone, by, by what? By every word. Old Testament priests, they were sustained by the bread on this table. But a New Testament believer is sustained by the word. And at the same time, what gave light into this holy place? It was the lamps that were on the lampstand. 
Right? It was the light that was coming from the lampstand. So which means we cannot talk of prayer and not talk of the word. Am I, are you following with me? We cannot talk of prayer. We cannot do prayer and not deal with the word of God. We cannot deal with prayer and not deal with the light, illumination, enlightenment, revelation. So, where prayer is properly practiced, there must be the presence of the word that gives us the revelation. I'm the only one who's excited in this place. Where we do prayer the proper way, following the protocol of prayer, where prayer is taking place, it must never take place in the absence of the word. So which means your prayer must be influenced by, by the word. And yet at the same time, you should not pray in the dark. You cannot be ignorant of how prayer functions. That will happen when we pray outside the light. When there is no room, when there is no illumination. When there is no enlightenment that is coming from the table or from this lampstand. So I'm saying to you, church of God, whenever there is prayer, there must be the presence of the word. Where there is this prayer, there must be illumination. And this is what makes me so comfortable to say, prayer is in the realm of revelation. Can I repeat that? Prayer, when it's done properly, it is in the realm of what? Of revelation. Yes, I do understand. There are times where when you pray, things happen just there. But let me tell you, from my own understanding, if I'm to put my own statistics, this is me. I'm not saying this is what the Bible says. But based on my understanding of the scriptures, I want to believe that 90 or 95% of prayer, it must be revelation. Where when you pray, you don't fold your hands and say God is going to sort it out. But when you pray, there must be revelation. There must be enlightenment. So which means when you are praying, your number one goal must be hearing God. And the voice of guidance is coming back this year. When you and I go on our knees to pray, our prayers must be word best. And when they are word best, they must bring us to a place of revelation where we get to hear what God is saying. Where, where, we, where we tap into the things that God is revealing to us. Why? Because prayer does not operate in isolation. Prayer operates in the same space with the word so that the revelation can take place. Somebody say prayer. Somebody say the word. Somebody say light. Somebody say prayer, the word, and the light. The prayer, the light, and the word. So every time you are praying, now this is why I always use this statement that before you enter into the prayer room, pass through the, pass through the word room. Why? Because your prayers must be word best. According to the will of God. That is why the New Testament says, when you pray, pray according to the will of God. It is praying the word. It is getting into the word of God. So this is the altar 
of incense. The priest had to come and serve on this altar two times a day. Morning at 9 o'clock and sunset at 3 o'clock. Every day two times without any failure. Which speaks of the significance of the practice of prayer in our lives. If I'm to put it in my own way from a practical point of view, a believer you should pray at least a minimum of two, day, of two times a day. There ought to be a, a time of morning prayers. That is why we encourage you before you jump on and then put on your uniform for work and your school uniform, take some time to pray. Offer your morning what sacrifices, your prayer. Offer your morning prayers. And before you go to bed, take some time to thank God for his goodness. It is biblical. It is biblical. Even when you come to the New Testament, you find in the Old Testament, you find countless people that observed this pattern of praying in the morning and praying in the evening. Praying in the morning and praying in the evening. You are, you are, you, you are, you are maintaining a lifestyle of prayer. Prayer then ceases to become something that you do on a Sunday. But prayer is something that you do each and every single day in the morning and also in the evening. Now listen to me, brothers and sisters. I want to speak to Pentecostals now. When you come into the holy place, when the priest comes to serve on the altar in the holy place, there is no devil here. The tabernacle was God's dwelling place. Yeah, can I repeat that? The tabernacle was God's dwelling place. Everything that is happening here is happening according to God's prescription. Why am I saying this, brothers and sisters? When it comes to standing at the altar of incense, a place of prayer, it is important for you as a believer. Let me speak to you as a New Testament believer, especially the Pentecost, the charismatic Pentecost. When it comes to prayer, learn not to put God in the same room with the devil. Learn not to put God in the same room with the devil. Because when the priest, whenever the priest came to save on this altar, it was about God and God alone. Right? It was about God and God alone. So for you as a New Testament believer, it's important to learn to just have one God in the room when it comes to prayer. How do I practice that, Pastor? So that means when it comes to your prayer, you cannot afford to have 45 seconds of speaking to God and then have another one minute and a half speaking to the devil. And then you come back 10 seconds, God, I thank you. And then the next, the next minute, you're on the devil. Learn to interact with God and God alone. Take the devil out of the picture. Am I talking to somebody in the house? An average Christian cannot talk to God and through from start to finish. The devil has to be slaughtered in somehow. I bind you. I lose you. And then tomorrow you find him again. You wonder who, who, who loosed him. I destroy you. And then tomorrow he's there again. But you destroyed him yesterday. As a believer, learn to have God and God alone in your prayer room. Learn to have God and God alone in the prayer room. Where when you stand on the altar, it's about God and God alone. Focus on your creator. 
Focus on your way maker. Focus on your maker. Focus on your protector. Focus on your redeemer. Focus on the one who sanctifies you. Focus on God and God alone. The altar of incense is a place for God. It's not a place for the devil. Now you can say, ouch. Because that's how we pray most of the time, isn't it? It's like God and the devil, they live in the same room. So one minute I'm addressing God, the next seconds I'm addressing the devil, and then I come back to God, and then I... It's confusing, isn't it? Learn to communicate with God and God alone. Sit down and have a conversation with him. And this is what makes an average New Testament believer to become so devil conscious. We think of the devil more than we think of God. We are conscious of the enemy more than we are conscious of God. But I'm saying to you, child of God, when it comes to the protocol of prayer, focus on God and God alone. Looking unto Jesus, not the devil. Looking unto Jesus, the Bible doesn't say in the devil. But looking unto Jesus, the author and the perfect of what? The author and the perfect of our faith. Your focus must be on God and God alone. So as a New Testament believer, learn not to have God and the devil in the same room. They don't live in the same room. When it comes to the tabernacle, it is God's dwelling place. It is God's dwelling place. Allow me just to speed up. So, when the priest now comes to the time of serving in the tabernacle, the starting point for the priest was the altar of burnt offering. This is where the priest would start, start from. What is the priest doing here? The priest is, is taking the live coals. In other words, he's taking fire from here. And on the other hand, he's holding a golden censer or a censer that contains spices. Right. That contains sweet spices. The Bible calls them sweet spices. So, when it comes to the protocol of prayer, the two requirements, the two requirements in the protocol of prayer from this altar is fire and incense. These are the two important requirements. So the priest had to take fire. Remember, this fire was not kindled by any man. The one who came and started this fire was God himself. That is why he says in, in Leviticus 6, verse number 12 and 13, he's instructing the priest and he's saying to them, the fire on this altar must not go out. Why? Because it wasn't kindled by any man. It's fire that was kindled by God. So the priest had to take fire, coals of fire, on one hand, and at the same time, he's holding incense. And then he makes his way to the altar of incense, carrying the fire and the incense. And when he gets here, he would pour the live coals on the altar. He would pour the live coals on the altar. Remember, there's a ring around here to make sure that the coals don't fall outside. And then on top of the live coals, that's where the priest would pour the spices. Are you, are you seeing what I'm saying? So that means there is a connection between the altar of burnt offering and the altar of incense. Now, this altar, it is called the altar of burnt offering. Why? Because it is a place of sacrifice. Somebody say sacrifice. It is a place of sacrifice which spoke of the New Testament cross of Jesus Christ where the ultimate sacrifice in the person of Jesus Christ was offered on the altar of the cross for you and I. 
Yet at the same time, this place is connected to this altar. The connection is happening on the basis of fire. The same fire that is operating here is the same fire that must operate on this altar. So this is what connects these two. Why am I bringing this to you as a New Testament believer? It is important that when it comes to prayer, you start with the altar of burnt offering. In other words, you start with the cross. When it comes to prayer, when it comes to the protocol of prayer, a New Testament believer, you don't start at the place of prayer. You start with the place of the cross. Why the place of the cross? Because here, this is where the divine exchange took place. Whenever the priest came here and the worshippers came here and they offered their sacrifices here, they had to exchange their identities. The, the worshipper would come and lay his hands on the sacrifice and then there would be a divine exchange where all your sins are transferred. They are left on the sacrificial animal and the purity of the sacrificial animal is brought unto you upon you. Yeah? So the moment you leave this altar... You are living with a confidence that I have been cleansed. You are living here no more with a conscience of sin. But you are leaving this place with a righteous conscience. That I have been made right. I have been perfected by God. I have been cleansed. I have been sanctified by God. And this is what qualifies you to enter into the tabernacle and stand at the place of prayer. How does that work to a New Testament believer? Every time you start with the cross, the cross must remind you who you are in Christ. The cross must remind you who you are in Christ. I am the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. Why? Because it was at this place that my identity was changed. So the moment I'm leaving this place, I'm not leaving this place as a sinner. I'm leaving this place as a saint. The righteousness of God. I'm not even leaving this place with a mind that is thinking sin. Why? Because my sins have been cleared. They have been taken away from me. My sins have been separated from me. So as I am making my way to the place of prayer, I no longer carry a consciousness of sin. Do I have the church this morning? So as I go to the place of prayer, I'm no longer going there with the consciousness of sin, but I'm going there with the consciousness of righteousness. What does that do to a believer? It gives you the confidence. It gives you the confidence to stand in the presence of God. Why? Because the single thing that makes people lack confidence to stand before God is that they are thinking that they are not qualified. The devil is whispering to them that, you know what, you're a sinner. You don't qualify to stand in the presence of God. But whenever you start with this place, you are dealing with all doubts. You are dealing with all fears. You are dealing with condemnation. You are dealing with everything the devil is throwing at you. And you are leaving it here. The moment you finish with the cross, you are a changed person. Your conscience has been purged from dead sins and dead works. So that as you go into the tabernacle, your mind now is not thinking sin, but it is thinking the righteousness of God. Am I talking to the church this morning? So when it comes to the protocol of prayer, 
the protocol of prayer, it starts with the cross. What is it that Christ did for me? It is this place that even defines your prayers. So whenever you face the situation, for example, sickness, you start with the cross. What is it that happened here? By his stripes. And what? Where did that happen? In the altar of burnt offering. That is where we see the blood being shed. That is where we see the body of Jesus Christ being stripped and being beaten. It is in the altar of burnt offering. So by his stripes I'm healed. Am I talking to the church this morning? So I'm gaining my faith from this place. I'm looking at what the cross has already done. The cross has already provided my healing. The cross has already provided my protection. It's happening before I go to the place of prayer. Am I talking to the church this morning? So that by the time you walk here, when you pray for healing on this place, your prayers are influenced by what happened here. So when I come here, I'm no longer begging God for prayers, for healing. But my prayers now are saying, by your stripes, I am what? I am healed, not that I'm going to be healed. Why? Because everything that I need was already finished here. Ah, I hope I'm talking to somebody this morning. Because everything a believer needs, it happened here. So when I get to the place of prayer, my confidence is there. I've got faith already. Because I know what God has already done for me. Everything was finished at the cross. That is why in the book of John chapter 19, when Christ was on the altar of the cross, he cried out, It is finished. It is finished. Let me just give another example. So for a New Testament believer, you know that every case was broken here. Yeah? Every generational case was broken where? It was broken here. So when I get now to the altar of incense, a place of prayer, I'm no longer asking God to break my cases. Why? Because they were broken here. Am I talking to the church this morning? Because they were broken at the cross. So the starting point is here, where you are cleansed from your sins. You are washed and made whole. And then when you come here, it is the place of water. You're washing your hands. This is the place of the word. Water speaks of the word. So you are cleansed by the word. A New Testament believer is continually cleansed by the word. That is why the more you soak yourself in the word, there are certain sinful habits you, you begin to stop doing. Yeah? The more you dwell in the word, the more the word remains in you and you're remaining in the word, the more you are growing in the word, the more sinful habits begin to move away from you. You drop them. You no longer have an interest in them. You no longer find any satisfaction in sin. Why? Because the word is cleansing you. The word is purifying you. The word is cleansing you. The word is making you whole again and again. That is why it is important for a New Testament believer to dwell in the word, to feast on the word, to partake of the word each and every day of your life. That's how you maintain what Jesus Christ has done for you on the cross. 
That's how you maintain what Jesus Christ has done for you on the cross. I like the way the Bible puts it in the book of Hebrews. I think this one is important for us to read. Hebrews chapter number 10, verse number 22. Hebrews 10, verse number 22. It says, let us draw near to God with a sincere heart and with full assurance, confidence that faith brings, having our hearts sprinkled to cleanse us from guilty conscience. Where? Here. To cleanse us from guilty conscience is dealt with here. And having our bodies washed with pure water here. Are you seeing what I'm saying? Let us read, allow me to read that again. Let us draw near to God with a sincere heart and with the full assurance that faith brings. Having our hearts sprinkled to cleanse us from guilty conscience. That is the number one weapon the enemy uses. He wants to make you feel guilty. That you are not forgiven. You are not cleansed. You are not right. You don't have a right standing with God. But brothers and sisters, our hearts were sprinkled, were cleansed, right, from guilty conscience. And having our bodies washed with what? With pure water. It's the water of the word of God. It is the water of the word of God. And by the time you come here, you, you must be having so much confidence in God. That is why Hebrews 4, 16, uh, 40, 14 or 16, it says, Let us therefore approach the throne of God with what? With boldness. That's confidence. Where are you getting that confidence from? It's coming from the altar of burnt offering. So my confidence in prayer, it is coming from the altar of burnt offering on what Jesus Christ has already done for me. So when I'm praying for healing, my confidence is in what God has already done for me. So this place must wake faith in you. It must grow what? It must grow faith in you. Such that when you come to the place of prayer, you are faithful. Yeah? You are full of faith. You are full of faith. So that means for a New Testament believer, this is how faith works. I, want you, I really want you to get this. I hope it won't be confusing to you. For a New Testament believer, faith, it looks forward by looking backwards. Explain, Pastor. So faith, a believer is here. I've got things that I want God to do in the future. So my faith is looking into the future. But how do I look into the future? I look backwards to the cross. So I look forward by looking backwards. I'm looking backwards not to my sins, not to the things that I did. But I'm looking back to what Jesus Christ did on the cross. That is how faith operates for a New Testament believer. You look forward by looking backwards to the cross. So as I'm coming to the place of prayer, I'm looking back. To the altar of burnt offering. What is it that Jesus Christ did for me? He washed my sins away. What is it that Jesus did for me? He healed me from all diseases. What is it that Jesus did for me? He overcame the devil for me. What is it that Jesus did for me? He protected me from the, from the snares of the enemy. He rescued me. Where did he do it? At the cross. So it is important for a New Testament believer. You must have a habit of looking back again and again. Every time you've got something good you want in the future, 
look back to the cross. What is it that Jesus Christ did for me so that it can form the basis of your prayers? Don't pray as though God hasn't done anything. Don't pray as though God is yet to do something. Brothers and sisters, everything that we need in our Christian faith, Peter says, for God has given us everything that we need pertaining to this life and righteousness. So that means whatever I need there, it was provided here. That is why you look forward by looking backwards. I'm looking to the cross. When I'm praying for protection against COVID-19, I look back to what happened on the cross. I'm looking back, what is it that Christ accomplished for me at the, at the cross? When I'm praying for prosperity, I'm looking back, what is it that Jesus Christ did for me at the cross? That becomes the basis of my prayer. That becomes the basis of my approach to God. Do I have the church of God this morning? So be in the habit of looking forward by looking backwards. So as you look backwards, don't look backwards to what you did. Look backwards to what Jesus Christ did for you at the altar of the cross. At the altar of the cross. Why is it important to stand on this altar of incense, a place of prayer? Remember the priests, they're coming in, they're carrying two things, fire and incense. So as they come and they pour the coals, the live coals on the altar and the incense on the top, What's going to happen in this room? The smoke from the altar, the sweet fragrance, perfume, is going to start to rise up. As they're offering it here, it's going to start to rise up. It's going to start to rise up. And as the, as the smoke is rising up, the fragrance is rising up, it's filling the whole room. It's filling the whole room. So what's happening here? The atmosphere is beginning to what? The atmosphere is beginning to change. The atmosphere is beginning to change. The atmosphere is beginning to change. The atmosphere is beginning to change as the priest is offering incense, which is a type of prayers for the saints. So as your prayers are rising up, as your prayers are rising up, as your prayers are rising up, the atmosphere is changing. The atmosphere is changing. Can I talk to a New Testament believer today? The more you pray, the more you are praying, the atmosphere begins to change. The atmosphere begins to change. The environments begin to change. But what happens when you stop praying? What happens when you don't pray? The atmosphere doesn't respond. Imagine the church this morning. In the absence of prayer, atmospheres don't change. In the atmosphere, in, in the absence of prayer, things really change. It's in an environment that is influenced by what? By prayer. And what I like about what's happening here, remember, the Holy of Holies is behind the curtains. The Ark of the Ark Covenant is what? Is behind the, the curtain. But as the smoke is rising up, it's filling the table, it's going to find its way above the curtain, behind the curtains, everywhere where there is space, the, the smoke, the fragrance is starting to go into the Holy of Holies. Brothers and sisters, your prayers can reach places where you cannot reach. Your prayers can go to places where you cannot physically go to. 
That is why we say, you know what? It doesn't matter what you're going through at your workplace. It's not about physical location. The moment you begin to say prayers, Monday go Maha. Your prayers will begin to rise up. They will enter into a boardroom where you are not sitting in and begin to influence the atmosphere where you are not positioned. But it is your prayers that are permeating into other spheres, other areas where you cannot even enter into some of the places you are not allowed to enter. But your prayers knows no boundaries. Your prayers knows no boundaries. The more you pray, your prayers will enter the immigration room and begin to change the atmosphere. Your prayers will enter into your manager's room and it will begin to change the atmosphere. It will begin to change the atmosphere. That is why I'm never scared to pray for someone who's unwell. It doesn't matter where they are. I know that my prayers, when they begin to rise up, when they begin to rise up, they will leave this original place and they'll begin to go into other places, changing the atmosphere, changing the atmosphere, changing the atmosphere. Brothers and sisters, prayer works. Brothers and sisters, prayer works. It doesn't matter how young you are or how old you are, prayer does work. Allow your prayer to permeate even into your dreams. Allow your prayers to come and saturate your room where the atmosphere changes, where you have a God kind of atmosphere. You enter into it, you tell something is different in here. You enter it, you tell something is different in here. I pray, oh God, that may God saturate your physical house with this kind of presence, a sweet fragrance, a sweet smell, such that even when people come and visit your house, may they come to a place where they say, you know what, I don't know what it is, but your house is different. May people get to that place where they say, you know, I don't know what, I can't put your hands to it, but there's something unique in here. May they testify of the presence of God. But can you see where it's coming from? It's coming from the protocol of prayer. It's from prayer over it. Every time there was this sweet fragrance, the Bible calls it a sweet aroma. Every time it happened, God responded. Do you remember that day when Noah came out of the ark and then he offered sacrifices? The Bible says, and when the sweet smell of aroma got into the nostrils of God, God never kept quiet. He came and he began to speak to Noah. Brothers and sisters, we serve a God who speaks. When we do it the right way, here, this one will be activated. Illumination. Revelation will be activated when we do it right. I want to believe that when we pray right, God must speak. Because we don't serve a dead God. The depth of our prayers must be in the same proportion to the response of God. We can't pray more and God speaks less. We can't pray for two months consecutive and not have God speak into our lives. The protocol must be violated somewhere. If we are following the right protocol of prayer, I'm starting here. I'm allowing the word to cleanse me daily. I'm feasting on the word. And then I stand on the place of prayer. The light from here must give revelation. 
it must unveil what I need to do. Can I give the last example? John the Baptist, his father was called Zechariah. And the Bible says when Zechariah, when it was Zechariah's turn to offer incense on this altar, New Testament now, when it was his turn to offer incense on this altar, the Bible says he had a visitation. Oh, I like that. He is standing on this altar offering incense and he had a visitation. And you are thinking God is visiting him to talk church business. Uh -uh. He's coming to talk to him personal stuff. Zachariah, I know you don't have a child, but I've come with an announcement. You are going to have a son and this son you're going to call him John. And Zachariah and his wife, they are confused now. How can we call him John? Because no one in our family has got this name. Why? Because it was their custom to make sure that they revolve, they recycle names. It's almost like the Shona couch, isn't it? I'm called Daniel. My dad's young brother was called Daniel. That's what they used to do to their, all their firstborn sons. Yeah? My cousin is called Amos. One of my young brothers, my dad's young brothers was called Amos. And now, this was a culture which they were living in. And John and, 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 and his wife, they're saying, but we can't call him John because we don't have anyone in our family. And God said, this one is unique. And he didn't believe until the angel said, you know what, because you're not believing, I'm going to shut your mouth. You are not going to speak until the child is born. And the reason why the child, you, we are going to shout you for that period of time, and we open your mouth when the child is born, is for you to say the name of the child is John. Because of what? Unbelief. But what I want you to get is that God responded to Zachariah when he was offering incense. God responded to Zachariah when he was praying. And I'm saying to the church of the living God, when we do it the right way, God must speak into our lives. I contend in our time that the New Testament church a New Testament believer, when you pray even in your car, you must hear God. And one of my biggest assignments in 2022, it is to teach you to hear God. I may feel everything else in ministry in 2022, but this one I've asked God for grace. God, I don't want to fail on this one. Your people must learn to hear you. This is going to be the answer for all that we're going through. The challenges we're going through in this season, they require one response. They require one thing, hearing God. Why? Because there are times coming ahead. I'm speaking prophetically. There are times coming ahead which we are never going to be able to deal by referencing to books. But you know what? It happened in year 1834, and this is what they did, and this is what we need to do. We are going to be confronted with new stuff that has never happened before. You can't reference to a book. You can't reference to anyone. You can't reference to any public speaking. It's going to require one who is omniscient. It's going to require one who is what? Omniscient. One who knows everything. The Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit. That is why I'm talking of the lampstand. The place of illumination. It is the place of the Holy Spirit. 
ultimately speaks of the person and the ministry of the Holy Spirit. It is him who gives revelation. That is why Paul, when he was praying to the church at Ephesus, in chapter number 1, verse number 17, 18, he says, I pray that the eyes of your heart, we prayed about this a couple of days ago, I pray that the eyes of your heart be flooded with light. I like that translation. Be flooded with light. Where does that light come from? It comes from this place. The same space where prayer is operating is the same space where the word and is the same place where revelation takes place. But can I conclude by saying to Church of the Living God, if I were you, I would make this decision seriously in 2022. I'm going to prioritize prayer. I'm going to prioritize what? I'm going to prioritize prayer. I'm going to value prayer in my life. <laughs> I'm going to value prayer. Let's rise on our feet. I'm going to value prayer in my life. In this season of prayer and fasting, intensify your prayers. Remember, in the Old Testament, they prayed two times a day. That speaks of a lifestyle. Prayer should not be one of those things you do here and there. Prayer should not be one of those things you do on a Sunday. Prayer should not be some, one of those things you do at the beginning of the year, but allow prayer to become a lifestyle. Live a lifestyle of prayer. When you wake up in the morning, you're offering your incense. When you go to bed at night time, you're offering your prayers. At lunchtime, when you get a break, you are offering your prayers to God. And when you pray, I'm listening. God, what are you saying about this situation? What are you saying about my children? What are you saying about my business? What are you saying about my studies? What are you saying about our church? What are you saying about my husband? What are you saying about my wife? Direction comes from God, but it flows from a place of prayer. It flows from a place of prayer. Never ever listen to anyone who talks down on the discipline of prayer. They are trying to move you from a place of power. Remember the altar had four horns. Speaking of power. Power. We are powerless when we don't pray. We are powerful when we are on our knees. We see better when we pray. We don't see clearly when we don't pray. Prayer. Prayer. Somebody say the protocol of prayer. Somebody say the protocol of prayer. I want you to lift up your voice and pray. And ask God for your heart of prayer. In 2022, ask God to plant in you. Ask the Holy Spirit to stir in you. To quicken in you a heart of prayer. A heart of prayer. A heart of prayer in this season. That God, I want to stay connected with you. I want to continue to walk in your presence. To live in your presence, changing atmospheres. Lord, we pray this morning. Lord, we pray this afternoon, oh God. Thank you for tuning into Your Change, a broadcast aimed at revealing grace and empowering transformation. To interact with us, please visit our website at afmimmiltonkeens.org or follow us at Ebenezer Fellowship AFMIM on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. You can also interact with Pastor Danny on Facebook, Instagram and Twitter. For easy access, the links are in the description.